Coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast, I, Cody Ojeda, am taking over from Christian Marchetti for the time being while he's living his best life in America. It is a bit of a condensed version because of Christmas, but we still have everything covered as much as we can. Mariners being on this really cool turnaround. Wellington slowly pulling away at the top of the table, there or thereabouts. And Perth, incredible comeback against MacArthur. All that and a whole lot more coming up after this. Welcome to the main front page football podcast. Obviously, it's not Christian Uries today. It is me, Cody Ojeda, covering for him while he is away. And I guess you can say it's a bit of a special one today. Not because anything's happened or because anything's different, but because we are recording. I don't know when we'll be in Uries, but we are recording at the very least at at least my time, 20 past seven in the morning on Christmas Eve. If that doesn't scream dedication to the A-League and to covering Australian football, I don't know what is. And if you need any further vindication of front page football's dedication to football in this country, my co-host, Matt Olson, my fellow front page dub co-host, it is four o'clock in the morning or four, almost 4.30 in the morning where he is. Either way, it is still a ridiculous time. Matt, why did you agree to come on with me today? In all honesty, like, what are you doing? Um, a 4am Christmas Eve pod sounds like the single greatest amount of fun I could have in my life. Uh, (laughs) secondly, I think this is only my second A-Leg Men pod for the season and it's Christmas. So I have to show that extra dedication, um, to prove that I'm still worthy of this beautiful product and everything it has to offer. And also shout out to, of course... Uh, the great Christian Marchetti watching basketball games in Los Angeles at the moment. I hope you have a lovely Christmas, um, Mr. Boss. Okay. <laughs> it, it, look, it's it's 4.30 where he is. It's 7.30 where I am. We're both a bit delirious. I think, Matt, you're running on like one or two hours of sleep. I'm running on five, and that's still not good enough for me. So I don't know what's that going to exactly come out of this today. We are only doing a condensed version because let's be real, it is Christmas. We do have commitments on a day like this, but we weren't going to let an A-League round go out without at least touching on what's happened because as usual, it is another week of chaos in Australian football. What else do you expect? It's why we love it. We'll get into it. First game of the round, Brisbane Mariners. Mariners really starting to let things click. Mark Jackson really starting to get something out of this side, but Brisbane will start with them for a little bit because There was so much promise going into this season. Ross Aloisi, at least in the Australia Cup, really looked like he had things clicking. And there was high expectations, and for good reason. But I guess the last couple of rounds, maybe things are starting to slip a little bit. They are starting to fall a little bit down the ladder. Still at home, a 3-0 loss to the Mariners, who haven't had the best season themselves. It's not the greatest of signs, even if it's not necessarily disaster point yet, is it, Matt? No, I think it's a very telling game for Brisbane in that, um, you know, there are still a lot of uh, things to sort of work out. Um, 
within their own sort of internal system. And obviously there, there's starting to be some weird rumors about Ross and, and other things like that going on that will affect the way that, that they're kind of playing. But I honestly think that as much as they've kind of lost the game, um, this game is really telling of, of the Mariners skill coming through and, and, and really of, of the way that that team has, has maybe had a bit of a slow start, but is really sort of getting into their own now. Um, and that's that can only be a good thing. As you recall, I, I had that sort of half-to-bake uh, take with, uh, you know, with the Mariners being one of those sides that had a slow start, but with the way this season is playing out, with the way that there are no clear teams emerging at the top, we can have a, 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 a sort of 15-16 Adelaide situation where one team looks pretty bad to start, takes a really long time to kick in the gear and then and then there's games where they just start showing their class and I mean obviously the other boys have spoken on the pod at length about the 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 rise of someone like Angel Torres um a lot of the way that that this team are a constant threat on the ball attackingly and we just we saw that um they're really molding into the system that they're playing as well um you know you're really starting to see the asset of a lot of these uh, foreign players in the team as well. And even with Mark Jackson, I think he's just getting more and more familiar with how he can utilize um, a lot of, of his players and his system against the way some of the teams like to set up in this, in this competition as well with a bit more dynamism. Um, and some teams who just sort of rely on, on one or two players in key areas, um, which I think is not, not a disrespectful comment per se, but I kind of think you understand what I'm getting to when it comes to play when uh, when it comes to, to teams like sort of uh, you know the Jets and Sydney where they play a very distinct kind of system uh, that'll rely on 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 one or two key players. Um, but I'm really keen, and I don't know when they're playing next, um, but I'm really keen to see this Mariners team go up against Wellington now um, because. Wellington's whole sort of hypothesis on how they're playing is we are going to obviously sit back, let let the opposition come to us. And when you have some of these key players for the Mariners in form going up against the Wellington side, it's it's interesting. But going up against this Brisbane side, it was also uh, in my for my mind anyway clear as to the the gaps that they would exploit. Um, and a lot of that was achieved on the on the night as well. So fair play to them. Funny enough, actually. Mariners haven't played Wellington at all this season. Their first game against them will be the 6th of February, which scheduling chaos in this country aside, even that's probably a little bit ridiculous to play someone for the first time that late in the season. But 6th of February, 6th of April, first game will be in Wellington. So that just adds a little bit as well because obviously Wellington do like to kind of sit back, let the opposition take the game to them. Mariners are going to be going away to Wellington. Wellington are welcoming a side like the Mariners and going to let them do that in their own home. It'll be... An interesting one to play up, but we'll go to the Mariners. And this is someone that, this is a club that you've spoken at length a little bit about as well, because I think it was when they went to Perth, you, I don't remember if you wrote the article, if it was Keep Up, that wrote an article based on something you spoke about with Mark Jackson in the presser. I can't remember yeah, the topics yeah. not coming to my head. You're yeah, going to have so to fill the gaps here. What happened was I, I basically asked him, like, because I think they played, they played Stelly and Laguna and kicked eight goals. And when that had happened, they had only had one goal or possibly hadn't scored yet for the season. Um, and uh, and it was just like, where are the goals going to come from? 
And um, he was pretty candid and he was really nice. And he was just like, look, like the, the team isn't good enough. Uh, Dylan hadn't been good enough to that point. Angle hadn't been good enough to that point. Uh, you know, a lot of the players that they were kind of looking to supersede Jason Cummins, it just wasn't working. And he was truth. He was completely truthful. He was just like, we have Jason Cummins who bagged all these goals and we need to replace that superficially. And like, we can't, we can't do that. And it was just like, when you, when you look back on it, technically they were still very confident on the ball. They were still great in possession. Uh, they had no issues in transition. You know, they, they were confident in possession, all of these really good things. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of good link up play and a lot of those relationships that were obviously still molding at the time. The issue was just the goals. And like, that's a very easy thing to find uh, when you, when you're playing a good brand of football. So that's why for me, I, I never really wanted to count the team out, but it was something that you kind of speak about at the time. Um, but it's not, it's not really a conversation we need to have now because yeah, like you say, a lot of those players, Marco Tullio's looking more like the, uh, the championship winner that we know, um, you know, and he's really finding his, his form as well. So I think in their final third, they've just sort of eked out a lot of those problems. Uh, they're confident in wider spaces, you know, they're confident going forward. So yeah, that, that was a problem that just sort of solved itself um, through, through goodwill of the players getting better and, and Mark Jackson really uh, moulding into that team. Funnily enough, since the last international break, Mariners, I think there's only been one game in the A-League where they've failed to score less than three goals. In that period, actually, the game they scored the least amount of goals and they scored in every game they've played, the only game where they scored just the one goal was against Terengganu in the AFC Cup. So of all the teams to, I guess, kind of struggle in front of goal against, it is a bunch of random guys from Malaysia that are travelling to your country as well. But then again, I don't know how much you remember of that day. It was pissing down raining. I'm pretty sure that pitch was a slog. It was disgusting almost. But aside from that, their league form, especially since that international break, which was the last time they lost a game of football as well to the Brisbane Raw, they've looked really, really good. And it's kind of pushed into what you're saying tonight. Obviously, that wasn't their best result in that time. They did have the 4-0 win against Western. But to go away to Brisbane, who I guess is a side that would be counting on their home form this season, a place like... Suncorp, even if the pitch wasn't exactly great that day, to be able to go there in unfavorable conditions, I guess, and come away with a result like that. Obviously, Mariners have had some um, troubles going to Brisbane in the past, not necessarily football-wise, but logistically, I mean. Uh, I don't remember if you remember what happened the last time they went to Brisbane. It took them like 24 hours to get there. A flight got cancelled, yada, 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 all that sort of stuff. But now they've come to Brisbane again. Rain's poured down. They've had a delayed game. And it's come up, they've still managed to be able to pull up a very, very good performance. Tulio was on form. Angel Torres, once again, get uh, bagging your braces on five goals in two games now. Absolutely nuts. Considering some people were starting to count him out, I guess, to put it lightly. For him to really be able to come back in this big way is absolutely fantastic. And Josh Nisbet as well. Um, one change that Mark Jackson's made, I'm not sure you would have noticed it too. I'm not sure how much of the game you actually caught over the weekend, but... Nisbet's actually been pushed into a bit more of an advanced role. I think this is the first time he's started in that position, or at least been listed as starting in that position. We've all been able to go from the offset. Okay, Nisbet's playing as a 10 today. But, and I'll steal Christian's words that he spoke on the last pod, it, he somehow managed to get even better in that role. It's it's absolutely nuts. And like people were saying, I think people were kind of, kind of discounting him about being a top 10 player in this league. I'm not saying that he is, but... He's got to be in the conversation, at least one of the best midfielders in the league now. Like, 
these yeah. kids, I don't even know if you can call him a kid anymore. It's like 24 or something, but his form is absolutely banging. His ability, his technical ability is ridiculous. There's not much more he can add to his game at this point. No, but, but I think what it speaks to is it speaks to the quality of, of someone like Mark Jackson. And this is a guy who remember he said like one or two senior jobs and he was a total flop when he had his chance at MK Dons, right? But it just shows that is also MK Dons. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know, but it just shows that like that's a level that on, on face value, we would look at it and go like, you're someone who just doesn't come from a very high pedigree of football. It just goes to show that that's a load of crap because Mark Jackson has not spent that much time at all within this setup. And he has identified Josh Nisbet's talent and much in the air of Chiefy at the Phoenix, very different situation in terms of how they play their football and where they've come from. But it's about identifying talent and strength and translating that talent into something that can become a net asset for your team. The utilization of Josh Nisbet is case in point exactly what the Mariners have done over time and exactly why they're, they're continuing to be a threat. And it's the football IQ of someone like Jackson in that scenario to say, like, Josh, what suits you? How do you think you can play better on the ball? I mean, that, that, that you can't underestimate how much that can revitalize a team as well when you have one confident player who can play a position, especially as a 10, where you're mixing, you know, a lot of your key values and quite literally being the transition from midfield into attacking areas and chance creation and all those sorts of things where, you know, you have to, you have to back yourself to be pretty fast. You have to back yourself to be pretty technical on the ball. It's, it's a really good sign of, of just a good team culture and, and something that's increasingly gone right for that team. We'll move on. Adelaide, Newcastle. I think you could almost say this is a bit of standard results. So I don't know how much time we're actually going to spend on this, but Adelaide going out with a bit of a new system, two strikers, 4-4-2, Johnny Gill playing out wide, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. But one thing that I noticed with this side from the get-go, from the word go, they really tried to make sure they stamped their authority on this game. It was almost like they were going out with a point to prove considering they had lost the last three in the bounce. Exactly what they needed. It was the exact reaction that they needed to lose three games in a row. It was something that Adelaide hasn't done in a while. And Carver has clearly done something with them this week to make sure that they understood the message of we go out there and you make sure you win this game. And they didn't just do that, but they were able to really dominate it as well. Yeah, I think it's a, there's a few things about this that uh, are pretty impressive, right? I, I think on, on face value, you look at it and you go, that's a routine win for Adelaide at home, who cares? But this Newcastle team was actually in like pretty good form for a start. Um, and for them to, to go away and uh, and be completely sort of blown away was was important. But also, you know, uh, yeah, this Adelaide team to be sitting in sixth is a bit of a bit of a red flag because um, I re- <laughs> I'm about to embarrass him, but I remember our colleague Jack Tuhill saying, like, it's going to be an Adelaide victory grand final, and he was he was he was like, I think, I think everyone's kind of agreed on the consensus that that was made very very early <laughs> and very reactionary. Reaction, no, I know, but um, obviously, yeah, they're a team that sort of suddenly lost their way. And when that's when that's happening, it's it's never a great thing. But I also think that like there's an air of Carl Viet where a lot of South Australians get peeved off with him. Um, with how sort of I guess stubborn isn't the right word, but I think he can be quite persistent on certain things. And um, you know, for him to sort of make the necessary changes that were there 
uh, available for the team is is a really really big um big sort of statement you know it's a, it's a big friday night game really good crowd they uh, yeah they, they needed that boost and they and they got it um so you want to see more of that parity with Colviet not being afraid to sort of change things up and and speak to his players more directly and um you know a lot of, a lot of that's a lot of that's come through in the way that, that the game sort of played out as well you just saw a side that was playing with the right amount of self-belief that were confident that had been in that situation before and not that Newcastle looked out of their depth but yeah it was clear clear that um Adelaide supremacy was was going to come through and and you kind of you kind of love to see it because at the end of the day you want you want more of that the familiarity of that Adelaide team at their best in the same way that you want Bruno firing for for the victory or you know you you love to see uh you know this this Phoenix side under Chiefy annoying people which is good good to see these sides that we expect to be good the sides that we expect to be competitive firing and um yeah to be to be sort of on the verge of the the new year pegging some points back is is imperative for uh, for that unit someone that I guess has caught the eye of everyone obviously over the last few years of course here in Quindo has been moved back to the bench the last couple of weeks both games has come on and there's something I wanted to talk about last week I never really got the chance to but he does I understand people want to see him start and it's probably important for his development that he is starting games but him coming off the bench is also quite a side even in the last game even if it didn't result in anything going forward for Adelaide they still weren't able to break through it is a stubborn wanderers defense and not many teams do get the better of him at home but he can it, it provides really brilliant energy and it's whatever or caught the eye of everyone who first broke onto the scene as well he comes on he works hard even if he doesn't do the defensive things the best but him in this game he's come on started pressing a lot higher obviously Adelaide did have this aggressive approach going into this game as well but he really was able to refresh it when he came in you got to give a bit of credit to Carver as well the way he made the substitution the timing of it as well did clearly have a positive impact on the game because he was able to come in Adelaide were able to kind of push forward again it did help him see out that result as well he did uh, he'll probably be unlucky not to get that assist for Ben Halloran's goal as well took a bit of a deflection after what was bit of a creative ball from him as well which is something we haven't quite seen I guess yet but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting point moving forward because he does seem to be really really effective coming off the bench but it's also really important that he start in games too how do you necessarily say that situation because you've got you've got to kind of balance the space of him with what's best of the team too yeah exactly you're playing to your strengths and um if there's one thing that was a massive massive asset particularly last season when they had a very successful season and were comfortably a top four team that, that played in a semi-final. The one thing that really w- worked and was consistent for Adelaide was the impact of Nestorian and Cordo coming off the bench and just being a, a total nuisance. Um, you know, again, if, you, if you're Carl Viet, you've, you've you can't sit there and think this guy's going to buy Munich, you know, let's get him prepared for international football and a bigger challenge by putting him in the starting 11. Like, no, a manager's not going to think that. And a manager, manager has no right to, to think that. You're doing what's best for yourself. You, you're down on form. Like, it was it was sh- shades of shades of watching Adelaide last season, the way that they've gone about this um, in the in the, in the the fashion of sort of routinely winning the game against a, an inferior opponent. But then also, you know, with, with, yeah, with Nesta's cameo as well, it's very, very important that, um, that, that, those changes are made, those tweaks are made, and and the right decision is made. Um, so I think if if Adelaide sort of do what's better for for themselves, Nestory is better off maybe. Um, you know, not getting not getting the full ninety as well. 
Yeah, look, it's a tough one there. It's a balancing act. That's up to Calvert at the end of the day. It's a few other people from Adelaide that really caught the eye. Luka Ivanovic got assist for um Ipasuki's goal, I believe, in controversial circumstances as well. But Zach Kloff, as much as some of his goals are coming from the penalty spot, it is big boots to fill when you're replacing someone like Craig Goodwin. And he's someone who, I guess even you can say, we he have been pretty critical of him since he's come to Adelaide. But this season, we weren't sure who was going to step up in Craig Goodwin's place. As much as Clough is probably doing it from the penalty spot perspective, he is still having a big impact on this Adelaide side. He's routinely helping him win games. He's actually contributing a lot more going forward. He doesn't look like, I guess you could almost call it a disaster class, that he did, that he looked like when he first came to the club. But him coming into form as well has been absolutely brilliant for Adelaide, hasn't it? Yeah, I I think uh, he's not quite the player that a lot of people were poking uh, fun at um, a few seasons ago. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and and I think it's it's imperative again that you know players like this sort of come into their own, but players like this to sort of grow with confidence and, and and taught to be in a system where they can play at their very best. You've seen that again with Zach Buff and maybe even him having more responsibility with someone like Craig Gooden not in the setup. Is beneficial to him, but I, 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 I wouldn't really know the intricacies of it to, to that extent. Um, and I certainly have, have never really had time, um, talking to anyone from Adelaide, or I think I've, I've maybe spoken to Colby at once in my time, but yeah, look, I, I don't, I, I don't know. You'd have to, you'd have to get more acquainted with, uh, with Zach to really understand that the psychology in that one, but you know, the him, the him that arrived, um, compared to the human that's evolved over time, it's, it's very, very important to understand the difference there. And actually, you know, the more we discuss this, the more I think that there is a parallel between a lot of Adelaide's management and a lot of the Mariners' management as well, in terms of just being able to ensure that, that you're getting the, the very best out of your players, and especially your foreign players. It's just so crucial that they stand up into, um, you know, at a time where you, you need them. So full, full power to someone like Zach Clough and the way that he's able to evolve and, and the way that he'll, he'll be an asset for the team going forward. Newcastle, the main reason why I said it's hard to kind of touch on them is because, like I said, they have been playing well this season. There were moments where they did look good towards the end of the game. Their goal that came through Justin Vidic, mind you, 19 years old, first A-League goal. I think it was only his second game as well at an A-League level. Yeah, just, and, just on that, just on yeah. that more broadly, we've actually been having a lot of weird cameos from players who are just sort of stepping up and... And, and scoring their... One it's kind of the point course. of the league, isn't it? To be able to see yeah, young is, players come is, through and be able to make an impact at this level. That's what you want to see. You're talking, yeah. this is just Marconi Jr. He only really came into the Marconi first team this season as well. Now he's got a gig at an A-League level. He's showing he can do it. It'll be interesting to see how he grows into the season if now he is going to get more opportunities. And the reality is Newcastle's goal did come from... Almost came from a bit of poor play coming out of the back from Adelaide. I don't know if they let their guard down a little bit because they were three nil up. It was probably not the best from them, but speaks to Newcastle as well. They were able to kind of fashion that chance out for themselves, be able to press a little bit high, even when they are three nil down, making sure their own standards don't slip. It's like you said, Newcastle do look quite good this season. They have been in a bit of decent form. Their last two games are winning a draw. You, That's the main reason why I didn't want to kind of dwell too much into this loss in particular, because it could, it, there is a fair chance that it's just going to be a one-off thing moving forward. So it'll be more interesting to see how they go next week or in the next couple of weeks if they are able to kind of steady the ship again, if it needs steadying. The reality is a lot of teams do a lot worse when they go to Adelaide. Melbourne City, um, point in hand right there. 
But I think that's basically unless you have anything you want to add on this game, really. Otherwise, I think we can kind of move on. Yeah, I just say from a Jets perspective, the sort of New Year's report um, on on that is that they're probably exactly where you kind of expect them to be. You know, they're not like bottom of the table bad, um, and they're not in the six, but they're actually like a pretty solid team sitting around seventh or eighth, and I think. That was probably Robbie Stanton's expansion, uh, uh, expectation going going straight into it. So you've got a team there that, that knows what it can do and and a team that's had some pretty impressive wins, wins along the way. Wellington and the Wanderers. Wellington are now three points ahead of the top. I think a few of us at FPF had things to say, and we say this every week because it is becoming a recurring theme. A few of us had things to say about Wellington in the lead up to the season, and I'm not even talking about what you said halfway through. As... Tale's um, departure was being announced and it was becoming clear that Italiano was going to come into that role. Even in the early out of the season, I thought they were going to come last. I thought that they were going to struggle to even win two or three games this season. I thought they'd be very comfortably at the bottom. They've doubled what I thought they were going to do. They're starting to break away a little bit at the top as well. And you've spoken a little bit about their style of play. They are a bit of a I guess you can say negative team. It, it does seem like such a negative word, but they do it in such a positive way. The reality is they look really good. And a lot of attention is focused on Italian and what he's able to do with some of the young kids. But him revitalizing someone like Costa Barbarisis as well is somewhat something that goes really under the radar. I think it just speaks more, not just how he's able to manage young players, but just his general man management to be able to get the best out of literally everyone in your side. Bozidakraev's also looking really, really good. Um, I believe his goal was or his goal was disallowed, and rightly so. He was about a meter offside, but just in general, he is playing some really good football this season. They're making sure their home form, besides obviously the Newcastle Jets result, that's obviously looking really good. Everything that needs to go right for Wellington is going right. The only question I guess you can kind of say moving forward is are they able to keep it up? Do they have it in them? But everything that you've seen from them so far, it's hard to say they can't really. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to think that, you know, should they be a contender, that some of the players in this team are, are going to be playing in a in a championship quality sort of side, you know. Um, I just think of like Mohamed El Tay, you know, Ben Old, who's an exceptional talent, but I think was someone that was still a few years away from sort of being a well-recognized player. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the career revival of, of Costa is a really, really intriguing one. And you, you do, you do sort of sit back on it and, and, and want to ask, you know, how long can this realistically be maintained? But I think the fact of the matter is given that their defensive supremacy can come through so clearly in games, and even in a game where I'm going to be honest with you, the first half I thought the Wanderers were going to win this pretty convincingly, because because they they had a lot of the counterattacking football completely covered uh, defensively. They they'd set up really really well. You know they were they were getting balls out, you know out of dangerous areas. Uh, you know they were they were shutting down a lot of the the more um, you know responsible players for a lot of that sort of transition. Um, and, and to me, it just looked like it was a game for the Wanderers. But this is this is exactly what Wellington do. And uh, I think there's no better proof of, of the fact that they won this than the fact that they had two offside goals and both of the winning goals came in injury time. Um, I think it just really speaks to the 
to the grit and the persistence of this team to be a nuisance and and to have their game plan go exactly to plan every single time they, they, they play. So I think it was a game that was just set up for Wellington to yeah, to really, to really have the better of of um of the Wanderers and and let alone you know they still have beef with Marco Rudan and he allegedly shouted eight hundred uh, New Zealand dollars worth of drinks to a bunch of fans at a pub before the game and all these all these silly things that were going on. It just uh, it was set up for the Wanderers to be idly frustrated uh, off the pitch at Sky Stadium as they were. So yeah, that was that was it was good fun. Um, and I think it just just a game that speaks to the quality of that side at the moment from from top to bottom. Um, someone I know you're going to want to talk about, so I'm going to segue yeah. before you do. Yeah, fair enough. The absolute quality of Alex Paulson um, that came through in, in in this game as well, because it's not as though the Wanderers didn't have any chances of their own. No, that's like he looks some of the saves this kid's pulling off now as well. This kid, I, I have no words to describe him other than he's a freak. And it's getting to a point where he's almost becoming quite clearly the best keeper in the league. And that's saying something, that's not even discrediting the likes of Joe Gauchi or Lawrence Thomas because they're fantastic keepers. But, and this is a guy who is obviously probably slightly let down by the fact that he's maybe a little bit on the shorter side. He's not got the presence of a Joe Gauchi. He's probably not got the experience. And I wouldn't even say the decision-making of Lawrence Thomas, just the experience. But some of the saves that this kid can pull off, it's absolutely nuts. Like, there's some genuine world-class stops in there. Like, he's creating quite the highlight reel for himself you always got to get to a point where you kind of ask where he ranks so you kind of ask where he ranks just generally in terms of the actual best players in the league as well not necessarily in his position it's like a josh nisbet where you probably look at him you discount him a little bit because maybe physically he doesn't look like those around him but he's still got this amazing technical ability in what he does that you can't discredit anything that he's been able to do in this league so far. And you've also got to take into account as well. This is the first time he's been able to step up as a starting keeper in this side. He obviously had a little period while Sale was injured a couple of years back, but he's just been absolutely fantastic. He's taken like a duck to water being the out and out number one in this side. He's got an experienced fellow like Jack Duncan on his back as well, probably waiting for Paulson to slip up even a little bit before he's able to come in. But Paulson... You talk about Wanderers having that a bit of ascendancy during the game as well and looking like they could get something out of it. There was there were chances that they had that any other keeper in the league or at least 90% of other keepers in this league, they score and they go ahead, maybe even 2-0. But Paulson stepping up for this club in a really, really big way and you talk about their defensive solidity as well. You've got players like Finn Sermon who are playing absolutely fantastic too. I don't want to discredit him too much. But Paulson's a major reason why they're able to play the kind of football they are. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Something that I was kind of thinking about during the game was the fact that they are sort of able to really micromanage a lot of how they play and the role that each player plays in that. And I'm wondering if, you know, frustrating sides in the final third almost is a way for Paulson's uh, you know, the, the high side of sort of what Paulson's impact is on the game. They're able to sort of bring him into the game more, which means that, um, you know, sides are struggling to get better chances and, and more uh, sort of clear chances and, and a higher XG for, for, 
for the um for the uninitiated you know just just they're able to really sort of present themselves um but they're sort of doing it from a sort of uh rugged kind of um perspective and 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 that brings Poston into the game where he's able to really grow in confidence and make some really good saves and and just uh you know be be a player that that really shines um and I've never really I guess tactically you don't really ever talk about goalkeepers being brought into a game in the same way you talk about the role of you know like a number six or something like that or a dynamic winger who's um you know uh, sort of like an inverted wing back or something like that like you don't you don't ever 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 talk about a goalkeeper being brought into to a game in that same way but i see that with with Paulson to an extent where they're able to just bring him into the game through through the defensive will of 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 the, the line in behind and the way that they support um you know frustrating a lot of strikers um so for me that that is a very clear sign of a team that's just working from from top to bottom just before we move on you talk about if wellington are able to keep this up this next period could be the most telling for them i guess you got an away trip to sydney and away trip to adelaide and at first glance i thought it was an away trip to perth but that's actually the weekend of unite round so it'll only be to sydney i guess it reduces the travel demands just that little bit but it is going to be an interesting period. Three away games on the bounce between... They don't play at home again until 19th of January. And then even after that, have a couple of away games after that. It is probably going to come down to this period, how they navigate this. How they are able to... I don't want to say rectify their home, their away form, but because I don't think it's actually been overly bad. But if they're able to navigate three in a row and then another two after that, you're talking five away days in the next six games. It's not going to be the easiest position for a club like Wellington Phoenix where they are I guess geographically challenged because they've got to do a lot more travel than the rest of the league and then go through customs on top of that when they are traveling so I think this period will be kind of where we do get to see where they actually are if this has just been a really good run of form but if they can navigate this by then you're talking it'll be beyond the halfway point of the season you've got to put them in the title conversation if they're still around that title race I guess if you want a bit of a straw man for that um, that Perth game, the last time that they played the Glory at Combank Stadium, because it's not the first time they've played Glory at Combank Stadium, do you remember what happened? I have no idea what you're talking about. The 2020 elimination final. They had it was in a COVID bubble, so they had to go oh. and play it at Combank Stadium. <laughs> and I'm trying to block um, COVID as much was... as I can from my head, man. Yeah, no, that was peak Uffie Talley times. That was probably one of the best Phoenix sides that ever existed. You had Uli uh, Devere at his very best. Um, and it was a total snatch and grab. Joel Kianese scoring in his last ever game for Perth. Uh, so if there's a sign of this Wellington team is performing really well, and oh, now they've just got the small task of Perth at Combank Stadium, I think we've seen that one before, and I think we've seen how that can end. So <laughs> you're talking very different circumstances there, though. You're talking COVID times. That's just, I don't think you can take, read too much into what happened in that period. It was just a right mess. I completely forgot that we actually had that bubble. And they would have had games like Wycard and Stroud Jubilee. Like, it's just, it was such an odd time. And it's not one that I like to think about. Speaking of their away form, Wellington actually haven't lost a game away all season. So maybe I really shouldn't be discrediting that. We'll move on, but there are three more games we've got to get through. Sydney FC and Western United. We I don't want to say we kind of jumped back on Western United lastly because I think there's still a lot of people having a lot of concerns about this side and they are 
they have now regained their spot, if you want to call it, at the bottom of the ladder. Um, but I wouldn't say this is the worst performance that I've seen from them. The reality is they had a really good result last week. It was going to be tough, a kind of a tough act to follow and kind of keep up as well because they have been kind of struggling this season. But Sydney FC, I guess, under Talle, we've been really waiting for them, besides the first game, of course, to come out with a really strong, dominant performance. I don't even know if this is exactly it, if this is the kind of their final form or if this is going to be the catalyst for a really good run of form. But I wouldn't say West United played badly in this game either. It's definitely not definitely not ideal. And they finally got a bit of momentum back and now it's just kind of been taken away from them again. But they did fight, fight their way almost back into this game. And at one stage, it did look like it was going to be three all again. Michael Roos unluckily had a goal disallowed because Bodic was offside in the lead up. But there were moments from West United that did go ahead and let's remember in this game of two through um, Angus Sturgate. What, I guess, look, I know you watch this game as well. Are things really, I don't want to say are things really that bad because from on, a pay, on paper it isn't good for West United. But there were signs in this game that they can be a decent team in this league, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. Um, this is a bizarre angle to sort of start with, but um, Alan Stachich, uh, last night said that um you know there are there are times in the a league where you know it can it can manifest itself in really funny ways uh, obviously he was referring to the comeback and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second but he he pointed out and there, it it sort of there was no reason for him to say this but he said western united play some of the best football in the league but they're stuck down the bottom of the table with us and i thought it was a very poignant uh, poignant uh, sort of thing to say because it highlights that one, you have a very capable manager in John Aloisi who's proven he knows what he's doing. Two, on paper, you you have such a good football team. I mean, the fact that some of these names are in the same team is crazy. You know, Ang- Angus Thurgate, who was a really, really big talent at Newcastle, the fact that you've got Daniel Pena in there, you know, the fact that you've got an ever-improved Noah Bodich. We know the sorts of things that he achieved um, as a youth player, as a, as a youth international, you know, like I just think it's a very, very talented squad in different areas, but they just struggling to gel and mold and have the full product to manifest itself in such a way where their technical identity is, is loud and clear. And I think you really see that in this game in the sense that when they got the lead, they didn't really know what to do with it. And they gave, they showed Sydney way too much respect and uh, the the better players for, for Sydney, you know, you Joe Lollies, you Fabio Gomez, were able to grow into the game, and eventually they were running away with it. It was it went from one 0 to three one pretty quickly, um, and they were just showing way too much respect. Um, when you when you're giving a side like Sydney that confidence at home, where we know they can be really really lethal and always a threat, I, I just didn't really understand that. Um, and it got to the point where you know. Um, their set piece routines, uh, it's, you know, really sort of picked up, especially from the style with which they conceded the first goal, and they were really sort of tweaking the things that they'd done done poorly to start the game. Um, so even though Western had a bit more of a cameo where they kind of pegged things back, I just think they were out of their depth. They were out of their depth in a big way, and and that Sydney side were able to were able to grow more confident as time went on. And and I just don't understand again from from an Aloisi perspective how you kind of lose your way. Um, tactically in a game like that. Um, you know, you've got you've got a very, very talented team at your disposal and you ought to be doing a lot better in, in the situations. It's just poor, just poor game management more than anything else. 
Um, and poor game management can can cost you a lot. So I'd, I'd say that it was more, you know, Western, Western really sort of letting it slip than anything else. But you can't deny that when Sydney played confidently, they played very well indeed. And like I said, it's kind of the Sydney FC performance we've been waiting for. You say West United are out of their depth. On paper, they probably, like, maybe not should be, but can be when you consider the quality that Sydney FC have, particularly going forward. Joe Lolly, Robert Mack really should be the best wing combination in the competition, considering their pedigree and what we've seen from them in the league already. Joe Lolly, I guess, showed why we put him in that regard. And when he's on form, Sydney FC do tend to do well. You can only just look back at the Adelaide game and see exactly what I'm talking about. Even Fabio Gomez getting on the um, score sheet today, even his celebrations all um, did give me a little bit of a chuckle, kind of wiping away evil spirits. Um, not someone that I'm completely sold on. I think he's going to take a little bit more than wiping away evil spirits to change my mind on that regard. But when Sydney FC are playing well, and it does help that you have a figure like Jack Rodwell coming back into the side, it does, I guess, give you a little bit more consistency, a little bit more assurance, especially at the back. It's an experienced head. It's exactly kind of what this side needs. Maybe that little bit of a calm, cool figure at the back when you are in difficult situations. And considering the way the game started, that is exactly what happened, exactly what was needed from this game. Then to navigate that part, and for him to get on the score sheet as well, off, even if it's off a corner, which Western United have famously struggled with this season, it is good signs for Sydney FC, I guess, moving forward. And I don't want to say this performance is absolutely brilliant. It's going to be what catapults them back in the top six, and they're going to go on this really good run now. But it was a decent performance, but I think it's everything around it that kind of shows that there is a direction there that you can go on. I mentioned Jack Rodwell. Definitely a polarizing figure in this league. Some people would probably wouldn't want to back him because he does spend a lot of time on the treatment table, but I don't think you can deny when he does come into the side, he does have a noticeable impact on it too. Yeah, you get you get so much experience there. Uh well so well, so much experience in relation to the A League anyway. Um and someone who can just really bring a lot of confidence into some of the names in that team. Um, for him to for him to get the goal as well was 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 really nice. Um, just a very very supportive moment of a player that um you know can sort of give back to the, to the team in a big way. Um, but I think it it really encapsulates the way that the game really ticked over to going on their terms. And I don't know if you look at it from the perspective of Sydney did did enough to sort of pull that game back because I don't believe that they did. Um, but but more specifically on Rodwell, yeah, I, I think you've just You've got someone that really needed a moment of confidence and the opportunity was there for him to take it, not just in the sense of the goal, but also in the sort of uh, building with that team and, and being able to play things on their terms throughout the game. You, you just, you can't speak highly enough of, of what that does for a player like Jack. And talk about Sydney FC kind of getting the result they needed today as well. The exact response you did need after what happened in the big blue as well. I don't think that part can be discounted. It's something that I kind of, Rushed over for a sec, but you've had probably one of your worst results this season, at least in terms of the occasion as well. Even if you do take into consideration that Redmayne wasn't there, you don't know what impact he would have had on the game as well. But saying that, Adam Pavlicic is a very competent keeper, at least in my opinion. But for them to have a really poor result like that against the biggest rivals, to come home, I get, I understand it's Western United, but a result like that can also be quite demoralising. You don't know how you're going to react from it, especially when West United are coming off a really good result. So I guess in terms of the grand scheme of things, if you are looking for something that can 
kind of spur them on going on this season. I understand it's probably not the standout 100% perfect performance that you probably did see against Adelaide, but it is a result, and I guess to a certain extent a performance as well, that Sydney do need if they are going to move forward and be able to actually make a charge for the top six too. Yeah, I I just my takeaway from this isn't we're sort of seeing a side that's that's growing in 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 many ways. Um, it's an important step for them to charge for the six, though. Yeah, um, but I, I don't necessarily think it's my takeaway from from the game. If I, if I'm being if I'm being brutally honest with you, uh, I think the opportunity was just there for them to take it, and you'd be silly not to. Um, but in terms of in terms of teams that probably are of a top six quality but have failed to sort of reach that potential and show that, I would hope that they kind of grow into it a little bit more. Whether it happens in like a post New Year's kind of era, I, I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of it. But I'd still like to see, um, see more of an impact from them going forward because, as I said, if someone like Fabio Gomez can become a bit more of a bowler, someone like Jack can stay fit. Um, you know, if some of the combinations uh, in midfield with with Joe Lolly can sort of get firing, like yeah, it'll be very easy for that team to 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 progress. And, and obviously, you know, Ulfi Tale, we know we know what he's achieved, we know what he can achieve. So there's the ingredients there. It's just about putting the package together. We'll move on to a game I was really looking forward to talking about until I guess it actually played out because I don't look. I didn't really get to see much of this game personally, but looking at all things considered around it and trying to watch of watch as much of the game as I could since it, since it played out, there wasn't really much going on from, I guess, a talking point perspective. Melbourne Derby, City victory. I know you watched this in full, even if you were at another stadium, but I want you to talk, kind of lead the conversation this about it. it. looked like a cagey affair from my point of view. Wasn't a lot of goal mouth action besides I think the biggest talking point would be the disallowed goal. But what did you make of this game? I know you did say at one stage it was quite intense, but and it did look like there was a couple flash points, but overall it doesn't look like much happened, and I don't think either side is gonna be very happy with what they got from it. Yeah, I guess it's annoying because when you come into a game like this, you sort of expect the first like ten to fifteen minutes to be of that that sort of environment. And then you, you you look at the the guys like Mashash and and Fornaroli, you know Marinakulis, who's someone that I really rate. Uh, you know McLaren, you kind of get you get the edge off, and then you want to see these guys really take it to another level, and you want to see that game really open up and be exciting. And it stayed of that tempo of the tense first fifteen minutes, and it stayed like that for the next seventy. <laughs> and when that's <laughs> when that's happening. I mean, yeah, like it's it's frustrating. Um, it's, but it's especially I'll tell you, it's especially frustrating because there were twenty five thousand people there, or over twenty five thousand people there, in a thirty thousand seater stadium. And again, when when that's ha- happening, Cody, the one thing you want is incredible fixture that really makes all of us collectively point and go, "Hey, that is the A League. That is what it can be." And the Christmas derby has had some banger games in the past. I mean, like some really iconic moments. And it just didn't come anywhere near that. Um, especially, you know, considering the Asian Cup selection, we really wanted to see that McLaren Fauna Rolling narrative play out as well. I mean, there's just so much of this that you really kind of wanted to click in the gear. And the game, the game sort of just increasingly got more annoying as it failed to live up to it. But that being said, you could still see you could still see both sides really, really playing at their best, really, really having a a, a go at, at either side 
physically. I think it was obviously a very physical game. And um, and in some ways, you've got to kind of be happy that an amicable draw has come away from this because both both sides are increasingly showing their talent and, and showing what they offer um, the, the, the competition. So I, I wasn't annoyed per se at, at, at the result, but I was, I guess, annoyed at the spectacle. And that's a, that's a completely different thing. That's from a neutral point of view, but if you're a Melbourne City or a Victory fan, both of those sides could have done with three points today. And I don't want to sit here and say neither side did enough to show that they were pushing for it. City did go look like they were about to go ahead at one stage, and that's something we're going to talk about in a minute. But I guess you say to yourself, after 10, 15 minutes, you want to kind of break away from that kind of cagey start, and neither side really seemed to push to do so. Like I said, City did have that disallowed goal. I thought victory, there were occasions where they pressed as well. Young was someone that I actually thought had a really, really good game and probably its best in a City shirt so far. But the reality is neither side is going to look at this and go, okay, we've kind of benefited from it. Usually in a draw, one side looks better off for it than the other. But this in this game, victory now three points off top spot. Melbourne City had the chance to actually enter the top six if they had a one, missed out on that opportunity to do so. Neither side's going to be happy with this, really, if you're looking at it from either team's perspective, not just the neutral. No, but I think I think City can City can always grow in confidence from the fact that their their slowest start in the league was probably trying to balance um, what what ended up being a really competitive Champions League group. Uh, I'd like I'd, I'd say it actually is a pretty amicable um, sort of uh, excuse for the reason that they haven't kicked on as much. So in terms of that kind of reflective kind of New Year's uh, perspective that a lot of teams and managers like like to sort of uh, state at this time of year, um, yeah, I don't I don't think City will be that frustrated full pitcher because I think I think if if Aurelio can get that team clicking in the way we know it can click, uh, a lot of those combinations, a lot of those players, I, I don't think it's the end of the world for them. But obviously frustrating that yeah. Uh, there really wasn't that much chance creation in the game. You know, McLaren's obviously had his goal disallowed, um, which I think everyone can pretty much agree with the decision there anyway. There was a, there was a clear foul in the box. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's actually probably a far more frustrating occasion for victory, given the fact that Fauna Rolly was in such hot form, given the fact that, um, you know, they've, they've really sort of in a position just to be like the team at the top of the competition showing their supremacy and they've just failed to sort of kick on in that way. So I think, I think it's probably more of a frustration for them. Um, but also the city, you know, they, they need to be more proactive and, and take a game like this by the scruff of their neck. So it goes both ways. It's funny how you said that decision was very clear cut and we can all kind of agree on it. I've seen that's probably been the biggest talking point I've seen from the competition this weekend. It seems, I don't know if maybe the, um, fight back against it was from City fans if they think that the goal should have stood. I looked at it, I thought there was, I wouldn't say it was a clear foul, it was a bit of a soft foul, but it was a foul at the end of the day, at least in modern football. It is one that's got to be given. McLaren has kind of grabbed his arms around a defender, pushed him out of the way to make sure he can get to the ball. In reality, as a striker, that's your instinct. You want to make sure you're doing anything you can to get yourself on the ball, especially in that position. And we know the six-yard box is kind of where McLaren does his best work, or at least that area in front of the penalty spot and for someone that probably and it's probably speaks more to his standards himself someone that we haven't seen hit his heights this season and someone that we weren't sure if 
um, his plan at full fitness as well. Obviously, he's trying to make sure he can do everything he can in a game like this to get himself back on the score sheet and guess play himself back into form. So for him, it's going to be frustrated, but clear cut. I guess there's an argument you could say he's kind of playing for the ball. He's got ice for the ball, but yeah, he has wrapped his arms around a defender. We'll move on to the last game. It's your boys, Matt, someone that you were obviously watching very, very closely. Perth's glory, MacArthur, you were at this game. You got to speak to both coaches at the at the end of it too. Look, I'll be honest, I watched the first half. Um, thought, yep, this is a clear result for MacArthur. They were on top, they were dominating well. And then I woke up and Perth had come away with the three points. Took me by surprise a little bit, at least in that regard. I wasn't expecting it, but talk to me about it from your point of view. You were obviously at the game, you were there. I'm sure you're in a way kind of happy Perth were able to kind of take this result out. But what did you see and what did you see from Perth that they were able they were able to actually play themselves back into this game too? Yeah, I think firstly from a MacArthur perspective, I think the actual uh, hindrance in the game was they took the lead so early it actually became a bit of a problem. Uh, you know, Matt Miller, I, I have to say, Matt Miller is an absolute freak from all angles of of the field. Um, he can turn any situation uh, with the ball at his feet into a fairly dangerous situation. And he really stood up in that first half. Uh, Valerie Germain was sort of someone that was fairly clinical as well. Um, Danny De Silva, obviously anytime he's back in WA, you know, we, 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 we like to have a bit of a, a bit of fun over here. And, um, you know, he, he was uh, talking in the first half, obviously he's, he's gone off injured, um, put his hamstring and, and yeah. Oh, we don't know that he is. Uh, Mille <laughs> said he believes it's a hamstring. Um, but yeah, uh, MacArthur's combinations were working exactly as you'd expect him in the first half. I genuinely just think that like their travel schedule has been so fatiguing having to balance Asia and playing well in Asia with playing in the league. And for them to have consistently been doing both, like they've been run over by Wellington and, and Perth. They're just tired. They're just tired. And they, they completely lost their way in this one um, through telling themselves, yeah, we're, we're done. You know, um, let's go, let's go and have our Christmas party. You know, we're, we're, we're packing it in. And, and obviously the loss of De Silva happens, you know, uh, it just sort of breeds, breeds momentum for that second half to turn out completely differently. And one of the more telling moments was um, Perth had already had a chance on 46, maybe 47 minutes where they've immediately clicked in and it's like, yeah, okay, let's let's peg this back. Uh, and the goal that they did score to sort of fire things home, um, it was it was a pretty sort of innocuous sort of finish, um, pretty blasé about it. Um, Kolakowski sort of on the on the edge of the box, one two with Taggart. He sees Khalifi, he, he has the chance to sort of go for it, it's, tries to set up Khalifi. Who just who just had barely understands what he's doing receives the ball from Kolakowski, fires it into a pack of legs and it just dribbles through. Curdo's got no no chance at it and, it, and the, the innocuous nature of that goal, if anything, it made things worse because MacArthur are going, oh well, that's just bad luck. Like it wasn't a good goal. Um, we've just got to we've just got to keep our head, keep 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 the momentum going that that they had, or at least that was in the balance at that point. And uh, Stadge Stadge's game management here came came in perfectly because he said he said uh Ivanovic who was playing really well at that point uh you know was able to grow into the game with a bit more support either side uh Musti came on Kolakowski went off it was just it was just 
as though you could sort of see it formulating. And uh, one of the journalists next to me was like, why do I get the feeling? Why do I get the feeling something Perth Glory is about to happen and they're about to win this game? And uh, lo and behold, Ivanovic gets his goal. The celebration from Colleen Ivanovic. I don't know how to describe this right, but obviously the financial problems going on at Glory, the fact that this team have really struggled um, through various periods. There was there was a lot of emotion on the park. That was Luka Ivanovic's seventh ever goal in the A League, and you you could just see, you could just see the weight physically lift off his shoulders, and he went nuts. I, I have never seen a player celebrate that passionately over a routine goal to make it two two while sitting at the bottom of the league. Was that his never first at Perth as well? Have I seen a player? Sorry, was that his first at Perth as well? Yes, yeah, yeah, first it this was. season. It was his- yeah, it was his first 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 goal for Perth and only his seventh ever goal for a striker. I mean, it is nuts. And he he runs, he ran all the way around the concourse. <laughs> he was high-fiving people in the shed. Collie comes over to him and he's just like, oh my God. And the two of them just have this incredible embrace. The fireworks are going off. I just I I you can just see how much it meant to them. And that's just to make it 2-2. That's not even the winner, right? Before before you go on to the winner as well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it's worth having this conversation around Ivanovic because he's someone that was under a lot of pressure. I think it was not even necessarily from a media perspective, from a fan perspective. I think a lot of people were questioning his place in the side and why he was constantly getting so many minutes and why Sajic had so much faith in him. So for him to be able to step up in that moment, I know his goal was only to make it to all, but the reality is it was a catalyst in a much bigger result. It was, it contributed to what's probably going to go down as pretty famous night at, um, yeah. HBF Park coming down from two nil, from two nil down to win three two. You got the equalizer in a result like that. That's something pretty special. So for him to have that moment when there was so much pressure on him, I don't blame him for celebrating like that, really. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But I think another big part of it is, Cody, um, uh, uh, a lot of people have pointed out that like his his general play going forward is good. He actually just ironically enough for a striker, he doesn't put the full package together in terms of his his ability to sort of have good chances on the ball, you know, to be able to to have the attacking instincts and the, and the things that a striker would fundamentally need appear to be the only things missing from his game. Another part of it is uh, a 17 year old in Daniel Benny was entrusted with being Taggart's strike partner before Luke Ivanovic was. And if you're Luke Ivanovic with how long you've been in the league, I think he's played over, over 60, 70 games. Must be pretty insulting, right? To lose your position to a 17 year old. Um, so there's a lot, like it's a very, very topsy turvy tale and actually befitting, funnily enough, for Luke Ivanovic, very befitting of Perth, Perth season and a lot of the sort of topsy turvy dynamics that, that, that's been going on in the team. We know. It's still been like a year and a half since they've won away from home and things like that. You've got to be realistic about your expectations. But how satisfying is it to have that moment? And um, David Williams coming on again, just superb game management. David Williams is someone that he only needs five or 10 minutes and he is such a team player. He's the guy that will sit back and go, whatever the decision is, whoever the people are around me, you know, you guys will be there to help me out. And I'll have full belief in that. For someone who's 37, 38 years old, just, he knows exactly what he is there to do. Uh, and so he comes on for Ivanovic and it's, it's like, it's like you've literally just put, uh, you know, the exact situation in for, for someone who's right, who's right there to give all their energy and, and take it and, and be in that moment. And, uh, and before you know it, a nice bit of combination plays going, the ball drops over 
and you could you could just hear it. David hadn't even had a touch yet, uh, and I mean just in the sequence of play. He had obviously he'd been on the field and had a bit of bit of play prior to that. But you see that ball come over, and you just you just hear it. You just hear people going, <gasps> and you and, the, and all the tension builds up in that moment. And he gets his one-on-one situation. Curdo's a sitting duck, right? Like Curdo is not saving this, and it drops straight in <laughs> bottom corner, and just the the delirium, the pandemonium of it, and just how much, how much this, does this club need that win? Um, it and you know just yeah, it it is it is going to be regarded as a very 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 important moment for for Perth Glory. Um, you know, the wins at home, a uh, good home form is what they've been relying on. We know how impressive they were at Masso Park last season. So you've just, you've got to come and you've got to present that situation. But I think there's there's several other things going on with it. There's the fact that it was a comeback. There's the fact that MacArthur have been really, really good. There's the fact that, you know, it actually physically lifted them off the bottom of the table. They're on eight points now ahead of Western on six. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, Stajic was just in such, such a good mood afterwards. Uh, that was a man who had had some some weight lifted off his shoulders as well. And the one thing the one thing that he said is that you know consistency is going to be the key now. You have a, you have a team that okay they've proven that they can win that, and they're going to have the self belief. I mean the change room is literally going to be changed from that result. But you need it needs if you want to be playing finals football, it needs to be three wins, four wins, and that's where the away form is is the elephant in the room for Corey. Um, they need to be putting that that full package together. Um, from from a MacArthur perspective as well, I, I don't even think they have that much to be annoyed with. They've just obviously got to got to ensure that if they're in that situation again, uh, maybe maybe make some defensive substitutions. You know, maybe don't don't keep playing at the same tempo because um, it'll 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 run away from you. So yeah, it'll be just an incredible incredible night and one that uh, one that we should remember for a long time. I think it's interesting what you said about MacArthur as well, kind of that game management side of things. One thing I remember, Mila Stajowski is quite a young coach. He's probably still learning these game management areas of, the, of football himself. I'm not surprised that maybe something like that has happened in a way. And look, I think a lot of people were surprised that MacArthur had gotten themselves in the position that they were. So to have a result like this, it is probably a learning curve from them, for them, sorry. How they move on from here is probably going to be the most interesting thing because I did say... Maybe I think it was a few weeks ago now that they were in a title race. They've lost two games since then. Things are kind of starting to slip away for themselves. They do want to kind of, if they have that expectation for themselves where they want to be among the best teams in the league, these are the days they've got to kind of put behind them because how they move on from this is probably going to be more important than anything. If this demoralizes them, then they go to Wander as they lose another game, which we've got to remember, Bankwest is a tough place to go to. That's three losses in a row. Suddenly you're looking at still fighting for your place in the top six and trying to fend those teams below you off. So you're talking about a precarious situation now for MacArthur, but you can't discredit Perth as well. It's an amazing night for them. And I'm sure you can speak to what was kind of going through Stadridge's mind as he got into the press conferences as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think again, this just, just to sort of air back to MacArthur though, there's a few things that I'm not personally worried about. One, you know, Millet said, if anyone in preseason had us in fourth or fifth, let alone to be a team that's contending for for first. I mean, you you take that. You take that if you're MacArthur. So let's not worry about it. Secondly, 
their schedule is about to free up, which means the guys who are, who are a bit who have a bit more uh, you know years on them, you know the the Jamans and the Devias, they 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 can relax now. They have got a month off where they don't have to worry about traveling anywhere outside of Australia again. Uh, and the starting eleven that Millet wants to play is the starting eleven that's going to play their minutes. Uh, the impact of someone like a, a Lockie Rose off the bench, you know, that's important when coming off the bench doesn't mean I've just come back from Thailand on Thursday coming off the bench. That's coming off the bench, coming off the bench. You know, you know what I mean? So there's a there's a lot more from just sort of an energy perspective that they'll bring into the next month. And I'm expecting their January to be really good. Millet's in, in a good mindset. He knows that there's there is silverware on the line all across the board for this team. Uh, and you just don't, you don't want to ruin that. Um, so I, I, my hope and expectation is as the schedule frees up, we see even more of their quality come through. As far as Perth's concerned, let me just hammer home. Stage, Stage is going to go into that dressing room and say, look, look what we just did. Look what we just did. So tell me anywhere in the country that we can't do that again. And it's as simple as that. Like the, the the quality is there in that team. The individual quality is there in that team to get through any situation, and uh, and they've just proven that they can do that. So they're they're in eleventh now. You know, five points off sixth. There's no there's no way to cut it. That's not a very pretty picture, but it is one that you can redeem yourself from. It is one that you can win from. And that unite round is going to be so uh, so big for them because I think they're at, they're at home again before they jet off jet off to Sydney for unite round. But the reason why it's telling is it's technically an away game, right? But it's in that home scenario where the away side, Wellington, are uncomfortable from having to travel out to, to Western Sydney anyway, take the initiative, technically get yourself a win that's not in Western Australian territory, and then who knows where you can maybe go from there. But obviously, you know, still some things to, to iron out and um, and still some players in the team who, who need to find their place. And for goodness sake, Alan, an open message to you. Try and find your system again. Try and find a system that that actually molds to certain players. Khalifi is still having a bit of an impact, but he's obviously nowhere near as good as he is on that sort of dynamism with the the five three two. Um, you know, then in a basic four four two, his impact is just it's not anywhere near the same. So I would I would encourage you know a result like this to really spur Allen to make his make his choices instead of stripping things back like he's still persistent on doing. But the team have a platform. Um, and a springboard, so use it. It'll be Mariners away first, and they play at home to victory, and then technically at home to Wellington in your night round. And yeah, look, like you said, and it'll be a good chance then to play outside of WA, get a result hopefully, because you're playing an away day against a team that's not from where you're going to. So there is that opportunity for them, I guess. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. It'll be, be an interesting that few weeks for Perth Glory, and hopefully they do get to build on it that is everything for today a much shorter version than what you guys are probably used to and what has definitely been produced by front page football in the last few weeks we've usually been here the two hour mark we are not in a position to do that today we have christmas to attend to the both of us i know matt you've got a few christmas parties yourself you've got to get around to you mr popular you've got multiple by the sounds of things i have one but i do need to edit this as well so we need we i do need a bit of time today and i've got christmas presents to wrap because i am very far behind on that um, if you've enjoyed it, make sure you drop a five-star rating for us. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed today with me hosting as well. If you do enjoy when I'm kind of on the mic, 
running things, be sure to let us know too. And maybe Christian will let me have a go at it a little bit more. Until Christian gets back from America, I will definitely be in your ears. Be another two episodes, I believe, that I will be on for you. So a lot to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. And obviously moving forward to the end of the season, you can catch everything that we're doing on our socials. That is Front Page Football on LinkedIn, Facebook, Front PG Football on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Hopefully I've got that correct. And Threads as well. And Front Page Football on TikTok too. Matt, before we go, do you have anything you want to add? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to uh, to everyone that's listening. Obviously for us, you know, going from strength to strength, being ever more involved in the professional football scene as we are here at FPF. Um, you know, even even a small thing like Christian going away for a holiday and us us filling in for him, delivering that standard to uh, to the followers that we want to deliver is a really important thing. So, yeah, hope everyone's doing well and uh, bring on twenty twenty four. Yeah, this will actually be our last, I guess, main pod for the year. I'm sure we'll have a few mini ones coming with post-match reactions from different dub games. I know I do have reaction from uh, Sydney FC's A-League Women's Game with Ante Urich and Kirstie Fenton. That'll be coming out very soon. I don't know if it'll be pre this pod or after this pod, but that should be around for your enjoyment very soon. But yes, if um, you are listening to this before Christmas, happy Merry Christmas to you all. Um, but thank you for tuning in over the last year and last few years as well. This platform doesn't grow without you guys enjoying it. So thank you all for your support. Merry Christmas. Definitely Happy New Year because that won't have um, passed by the time you're listening to this, hopefully. And enjoy the holiday season.